Attackers are only getting more proficient, so how can you proactively adapt your cybersecurity strategy? Core Security by Help Systems helps you uncover and prioritize the risks that pose the biggest threat to your organization. Core Impact is a penetration testing tool that safely finds and exploits vulnerabilities using the same techniques as attackers. You can conduct advanced pen tests with ease using certified exploits and automations. Take your engagements to the next level by pairing with Cobalt Strike, a threat emulation tool ideal for adversary simulations and red team operations. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash core security. Hey everyone, this is Paul Asadorian with Security Weekly. I'm super excited to tell you about our latest partnership with Intel, Intel's vPro platform. You might have heard of it before, as it's been around for 15 years. IT and security teams have so many challenges, including trying to keep your computers up to date with patches, making sure all the hardware and software is working for your remote employees, and of course, keeping things secure as possible. Intel's vPro platform is designed to do just that, make it easier to keep your fleet of computers well-maintained and as we all know, a well-maintained network is absolutely a more secure network. Join us for an interview with Yasir Rashid, Global Director of Enterprise Client Sales at Intel on May 12th as we explore the features and solutions provided by the Intel vPro platform. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Intel for more information. Welcome back to Enterprise Security Weekly. Do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover in one of the shows? Submit your suggestions for guests by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash guests and completing the form. We review suggestions monthly and we'll reach out to you once reviewed. All right, and for our next interview today, uh, this one is sponsored by Xtero. Uh, Justin Tolman joins us today to talk about forensic challenges for security professionals. And actually, in preparing for this interview, I, I hadn't realized that Access Data was acquired by Xtero. So that, that was uh, good news for me to, to understand uh, who Xtero was and what they do. And we'll, we'll talk about that a bit. Uh, Justin is Xtero's forensic evangelist, a subject matter expert who has spent many years training customers and produ producing training content. And before joining Access Data, uh, which then, as I said, was acquired by Xtero, Justin was a computer forensic specialist for Ohio's Bureau of Criminal Investigations. He also has a master's degree in cyber forensics from Purdue. Very cool. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, so you joined before the acquisition. Yeah, I know. You know, for for those that don't know DFIR, you know, kind of uh, Access Data was like one of the two. Big ones, like if you did a lot of uh, uh, data forensics work, you know there was really just like one of two platforms, you know maybe three, with with X ways that you might use to uh, to handle your cases, to do investigations and stuff like that. Do I have that about right, or or did that? Change yeah, that's at some point? that's correct. Um, Access Data had been around for a very long time, late '90s actually, and um, late 2020. Uh, Xtero acquired Access Data, and like you said, I'd been with Access Data for a couple of years at that point. Um, I think I'm working on year almost to year seven now with Xtero Access Data uh, since that acquisition. But you're right, FTK has been around for a very long time, and that was Access Data's product, and now we're Xtero. Yeah, so so before we dive a bit deeper into that and what we're going to talk about today, you know, a little bit uh, curious since you come from the you know kind of the 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 state federal 
space there. What what got you into uh, doing DFIR work in the first place? <laughs> so that's a, that's a funny question, actually. So um, in my undergrad, I was uh, majoring in computer information technology. Um, and no offense to any IT professionals out there, but I got to the end of my degree and I was like, I don't want to do IT. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the wrong degree. Um, and so I began applying for my local police department here in Washington state, um, getting ready to do that. Cause I, I, I just, I was working for campus police at the time. I loved the people I was working with, loved what I was doing. And then one of my professors was like, Hey, hold up. You can do both. Go get this uh, degree in cyber forensics from Purdue and basically be a computer cop and went to Purdue uh, started interning with the Lafayette, Indiana Police Department there, fell in love with the field, and then got hired by BCI there in Ohio and just loved it ever since. So um, that's kind of how I got into it. And the funny thing about it, if we have any former DFIR law enforcement people, had I graduated with my CITA degree, which I would have, and then gone to work for a police department, I probably would have ended up still doing <laughs> cyber investigations there because that's how a lot of that falls together in the law enforcement industry. Even today is the guy who can work with computers becomes the cyber guy. So kind of must've been aligned in the stars or something, but here we are today. Yeah, it was interesting. I actually, my first real career job, I, I went to work for a large credit card processor and and we didn't have an IR team. We, we didn't have anybody with that skill set. And to be honest, I didn't have that skill set either. You know, I think I was maybe 21, 22 years old. And when when we had an incident, you know, it just uh, came naturally to me to, you know, to start the investigation, run the investigation. So they just let me run with it. And that was uh, I was on the IT side. And that was uh, four or five years before I actually made the official switch over uh, to the to the security side and uh and got the official chief incident handler title and 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 all that stuff so it's it's kind of funny how that kind of thing falls in your in your lap i mean just running investigations in general i i think is kind of a different skill set that doesn't doesn't work for all people right and i think um your point there about even within the private industry it's like oh this this person is just going to kind of do it and build it while we fly it is kind of a lot of how we're getting to where we're getting now, which is maybe a little segue, but like um, in the recent presidential mandate uh, that President Biden put out here in the United States, he talks about, we don't have time to wait. It's got to happen now. Because I think a lot of companies have taken that mentality is like, well, we'll we'll build it as we go. We'll get it done as we go. We'll, we'll find, but now it's, they're saying, no, it's got to be a priority. Uh, you've got to have dedicated people. And of course that's been happening, but we're really starting to focus on that now. Yeah, and I, I think my saving grace was going to um, doing uh, SANS 504. I, I convinced a, my employer to send me off to SANS 504. And that really taught me how to, um, you know, break everything down logically, you know, the, the, the whole process, how, how to put together an incident response plan, um, I, I don't recall it going into any actual uh, forensic stuff specifically, you know, but definitely helped me on the incident response side of things. And then later on, I went to a, uh, a CCE boot camp and that, that was really kind of helpful, though that was the only time I 
I used the, uh, you know, they specifically used X-Ways uh, in that class. And uh, I, I think I only used it for like, you know, cause you, you end up uh, helping friends and family out too, right? Like <laughs> recovering data yeah. from deleted data from systems and phones and stuff like that. And, Absolutely. and I actually, I, I got a key to X ways, you know, from taking that boot camp. So I, I used it, you know, more on the side to, to help people out than, than anything else. It's kind of interesting how, um, in the, in the past, like, I don't know, we'll, we'll call it 20, 30 years, um, these fields have been growing with like major tech changes. So like, I think in incident response, you were probably using more forensics than you thought, but we were so compartmentalized and have been, um, because it's like, oh, forensics is changing because there's new computers. There's new types of computers. Mobile phones are out the iPhone 2007. Right. And so we're all trying to deal with our own things. And so I think like, you know, in, um, incident response, you're going to preserve that data. You know, you got, you call it preservation and that's cool. Uh, forensics is the art or the science as well of preserving data. But now I think we're, we're hopefully starting to meld our terminologies and meld our workflows so that we realize, Oh wait, I don't have to do this. Forensics has already done it. Let's just take that. Oh wait, I don't have to do this. IR has already done that. Let's, let's meld these together. And we just haven't had time. I think um, I'll probably get crucified for this, but I think technology <laughs> right now has kind of leveled out in the last few years. We're getting new stuff all the time and it's speeding up, but like a firewall still does what a firewall does. Mobile phones now are better than they were in 2007, but it's just more of the same. So now we've had this, in a way, this breathing room where we can now focus on getting better in our security, right? Instead of... Uh, what's the new big disruption um, in the market other than the, the guys that are breaking into our networks, this type of disruption. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think we have a lot of building blocks here. Like if you look at a lot of, you know, like the Oculus uh, quest, like if you ever, for whatever reason needed to acquire an image from that, it's basically an Android phone, you know, and yep. you're going to, you know, the same techniques that work there are going to work for that. You know, Raspberry Pis. Uh, you know, like like a lot of the Arduino and and uh, ARM based stuff out there. You know, it's all just kind of building on top of itself. So if you know how to how to deal with one, you know, generally you know how to how to deal with the other, especially with IoT devices and stuff like that. I don't know how yeah. much you've ever had to to tackle that kind of stuff. I mean, there's this whole niche market that exists just around uh, acquiring data from different different products. You know, from Cell phones, you got your whole kit that comes in with 800 different tips for different uh, yeah. flip phones. And, you know, then acquiring uh, Android and, and iOS stuff is is almost more of an art than a science, it seems like. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And, and, and it's, but like you said, it, it builds on it. So we would get that in all the time. Like, hey, I've got an Xbox or I've got this or that. And more more than the trick is really, do we have a connector to plug into it? You know, that's a big one. And then what file system? And, you know, and you start looking at things like, oh, it's just an EXT file system. Oh, it's just NTFS file system or it's fat or whatever. Yeah, it's a different device, but like a Raspberry Pi is on, I think, EXT or something. So it's like, well, as as long as I can get a hold of the SD card or the internal memory, you know, we can, we can probably look at it. But it'll be 
but what that's afforded us a little bit, and maybe it's made us complacent at the same time, who knows, but is we should be able to focus on the different things um, of getting better and, and securing our networks and, you know, hopefully protecting ourselves a little bit more in these times. So, yeah, you know, so since we're on the topic, we're, we're a bit ahead of, uh, you know, there, there's some other uh, things I wanted to talk about also, but uh, on the point of acquiring images of getting that data in the first place, you know, I imagine I, I never had to deal with cloud, you know, when it, when I was doing that kind of stuff, but I, I imagine that was that was a change also not so much in like it's not hard to get data out of the cloud you know but certainly you know i think the existing tooling didn't really uh you know maybe wasn't prepared for it or or is is it more complicated than or more simple than i'm making it am i making it more complicated uh no i think um i mean to the programming, I don't know how hard it is programming it to do it, but the key thing with forensics, when we talked about moving to the cloud, you have two different sides of it. And I think the audience here is mostly enterprise. So with enterprise, you're controlling your own cloud environment. You have those credentials. It is your company data. So you don't really have to worry too much about privacy um, considerations like a law enforcement side would. And with enterprise, um, the trick there was not so much uh, getting to the data. Your IT departments typically could get to the data or copied out. It's doing it in a defensible way. And that's where mm. like forensic tools like FTK or whatever have focused on is we are able to connect to these cloud repositories and defensively extract that data, store them in a secure container um, so that they can be stored for a, a long time. But uh more importantly, so that we know, hey, this stuff hasn't changed. This is what was on the cloud at that time, which is super important because, you know, a business is going to keep running, not just because an investigation starts on an individual or a department or even a company. Um, a lot of times that business is going to keep rolling. So it's important to keep the data integrity at the time we collected. And that's where forensics comes in swinging. Yeah, and I, I think um, for folks that aren't super familiar with this kind of stuff, you know, I, th I think what you're uh, alluding to is is that when you do DFIR, you you have to treat everything as if it's going to go to court, you know, because you don't know what's what's going to go and what's not. So you you have to worry about chain of custody and the integrity of the the data that you're preserving, and um, you know the the copy you do the investigation on is not the copy that <laughs> gets sealed and and goes into uh, uh, in his evidence all that stuff right yeah I think that's that's an interesting thing and it deals with definitions so if we actually look at the term forensics and simplify it down uh, the term forensics is the application of science um, for the purposes of court to a specific field, right? So in this case, we're talking digital forensics, DF in the DFIR, digital forensics. And so, like you said, we're the standard of the way you approach it is if you are going to court, you're going to present this to a judge or a jury or something like that. And that is the highest level of defensibility that you're going for. Um, and so, yeah, exactly. Now, even if you're not going to go there, you're saying, like you said, Maybe we will, we don't know, but at the same time, if we do it forensically sound, and uh, is what we would say, we're prepared either way. And it also gives you uh, a level of robustness, of course, 
because those forensic containers are secure files and they can sit around for a while and nothing's going to change. And you can verify very easily that nothing has changed. So that's nice. But you're right. Absolutely. Uh, for court. And it's in the definition of the word forensics. Yeah. Yeah, so so let's kind of let's uh, change gears and switch over to you know talking about the the industry itself. You know, you're talking about how things are kind of smoothing out. You know, maybe you know DFIR is is, is well defined, and and uh, you know we we can maybe switch focus a little bit. Um, but certainly, I think DFIR has been one of those areas. You know, I've seen maybe three areas that that really and, and a lot of it goes to higher education you know what what they have degrees out there for um but entry into the field of of security and uh you know certainly dfir is i think more specialized you know than than the other two but generally i see you know offensive security you know so pen testing which boggles my mind is like that should never be an entry level field in my opinion <laughs> uh yeah. sock analyst uh and, and then digital forensics. In fact, uh, you know, I remember the first person I ever hired with a cybersecurity related degree, uh, it, it was a uh, forensics, a computer forensics degree, uh, an associate's degree. And basically the whole program was based on, on uh, FTK. Uh, but what I, I didn't know anything about the degree program and what I kind of learned uh, the hard way after hiring this guy is that that they really this particular degree program leaned super heavy on, on the tool, like taught them how to use the tool, but this guy showed up had no clue how to run an investigation, um, you know. So he like <laughs> you could hand him a disk image and he could load it into FTK, but then he needed somebody to like like kind of uh, tell him what running an investigation is like, you know, what the stages are like, you know, how to get pointed in the right direction. So curious as to your, uh, obviously, this probably wasn't the best degree pro program. You know, this was in 2006, 2005. So very, very early, you know, for a cybersecurity degree program. So uh, ho hopefully, you know, you, you you tell me you're probably more familiar with this stuff than, than I am, you know, or, you know, yeah, I, I'll just let you answer. So I've seen the exact same thing working with um, people that companies I've worked with have hired when we're doing investigations. So exactly. Um, I think this is caused by a couple things. Um, first off, we have in college professors that really give it their all, honestly, like I'm not, I, I don't mean to disparage them, but maybe they're not former investigators themselves. So mm -hmm. they're teaching the tool, they're teaching the material that they have um, and giving them this tool foundation. Okay, cool. But like you said, they're they're going to come out and they're going to be like, listen, I know the buttons. I know what buttons, but I don't know what order to push them in to be effective. I think it comes down to us that are already in the industry to really embrace internships or apprenticeships or any mm -hmm. ships <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that can give these people uh, hands-on. So I mentioned that while I was at Purdue taking courses, that was an FTK um, based learning there in the classroom. But what really gave me like where I learned everything basically was interning with the Lafayette, Indiana police department, went in, um, sat pretty much like a couple days a week um, with their CSI detective 
How do you do cases? What is, what's next? What are you looking for? What's not important? Like what are, how, what's the flow, those types of things. And honestly, like the stuff that I learned in the classroom, I'm not disparaging Purdue either. Um, it was, it was great. It was good, but everything I learned that um, really took me to a high place as an investigator was hands-on. And I got that boost. So when I landed at BCI, I landed running. I mean, there was, you really learned it when it's you on the line, you're not an intern, but at least I had an idea of the flow. And I think we're hesitant in the DFIR security industry because of what we deal with 100%, you know, security issues and um, uh, personal information and all that sort of stuff on the enterprise side. And then of course the law enforcement side has (laughs) its whole, uh, you know, contraband issues um, with what they look at. But it is, if you want quality new employees, um, it's, it's, it'll put them light years ahead. And we kind of uh, need that more than ever. I just saw an article that the industry, the security industry incident response DFIR is short 600,000 workers or needed people Mm -hmm. in the United States alone. That's a lot of people. Uh, and it's, it's, even if nobody wants to, to hire train them, them all out of college, that's a big run up. Yeah. You know, and I, I've got a, I've got mentees that I've worked with, um, you know, at the same time, people are saying like, we've got this huge gap, you know, that all these jobs to be filled. Uh, I I've got mentees telling me, Hey, we've got the degree, we've got the certifications and we can't get hired because everything we see says three to five years of experience. You know, and they're coming <laughs> to me saying, well, where do I get that first one to three or one to five years of experience if nobody's hiring for that. And I think that's part of the problem is, you know, like if you, it's just a gap in the pipeline that needs to be filled. You know, somebody has got to be willing to do these internships to give these people, uh, you know, their, their, you know, the opportunity that Lafayette uh, police force there gave, gave you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's, uh, when I talk, I, I talk to uh, students on on a regular basis. Uh, it's just part of the thing, going around talking. And I know it's not for everybody, but if you're going into digital forensics, law enforcement, digital forensics analyst is a good place to start because um, you're going to get it from the fire hose. They, I worked, you know, 75, 80 cases a year at minimum, and it's all sorts of different wow. stuff. And Unfortunately, they don't pay that great right out of the gate. But what that means is they're kind of forced to take us college grads and uh, hire us. And so I was able to, with, you know, coming out of college with only my internship year of experience, but still just say, hey, BCI, I'm your guy. And they were like, yep, you're our guy and hired hired me and, you know, got me in and then was fortunate enough to prove my abilities and get on with access data and, and, and move through. Right. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Somebody has got to give them that chance and we can't, we, we in the industry can't on one hand complain about a shortage. Then on the other hand, say, we're not going to hire all these people that want to be hired. So it's kind of, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, it's getting a lot of airtime. I'm hearing a lot of people saying the same things, you know, like, like I'm, I'm not the first to say that. You know, I think a lot of people in our field tend to be very mission focused. And as a result, uh, tend to do a lot of mentoring. 
And we're all just running into the same things. We're, we're hearing the, we know where the problem is. We just got to convince companies to, uh, more companies to do internships. I know some companies are, are great about it. Um, it tends to be part of a company's DNA, you know, like, like kind of a, a first principle for them. Like they're, they're a teaching company. Like everybody, yeah. everybody's learning. They're going to hire interns. You know, they, they do lunch and learns, you know, uh, e- even the experts in the company are, are learning from other experts in, in that same company. You know, like it just tends to be um, something that that company does versus companies that are tend to run a lot more lean and they're never going to post. They're never going to put out a job rec for anything less than five years experience. You know, it's interesting that you talk about like the lunch and learns and experts and company DNA. I think it's best, of course, when it's company DNA, but it is interesting that I think the experts are seeing the need for that because the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, actually is part of their playbook as preparation, literally mandates that. Like, oh, really? In company training, uh, whatever that may be, it, it talks about all the different options, but part of that is. They don't use this term, but lunch and learns and experts teaching experts within the company and all that sort of stuff. They're trying to get these companies motivated to share their information. We can't hoard it uh, within just a few people because those people are getting shorter uh, and shorter in supply. Yeah, so so shifting gears again. yeah, I, th- I think that's a great place to to leave that that conversation. But uh, shifting gears again, <laughs> CISA says it, so you have to do it. That, that's where we're leaving that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What what is kind of the the cutting edge with with DF, DFIR here? I, I see in the show notes you're, you're talking about um, uh, automated using automation, uh, functioning in zero trust environments, uh, using DFIR for for. Um, you know, detecting insider threats and things like that, which honestly, in my experience, you know, like I don't really have any malicious actor stories from my DFIR, from my chief incident handler background. Like it's all insider stuff. Yeah. Insider is the big one. Um, And I, I think that's why over the last, you know, 15, 10 years or something, zero trust has gained more and more momentum is we can't trust our perimeter anymore because they're already in, in the gates, I guess, you know? Um, But yeah, I think what, what the future is of DFIR is automation. And I don't think that's because um, we don't need people anymore. We're always going to need, high-level DFIR professionals, high-level security professionals. Um, But we talked about that shortage of people, 600,000 people in the U.S. alone. And then the other thing is um, cost savings. Automation works when you aren't. Uh, And also, uh, you know, I've been doing forensics for quite a while now. A lot of forensics is really, for lack of a better term, mundane. (laughs) Uh, You know, collection, creating an image. It's, you know, uh, traditionally it's taking a hard drive, plugging it into a computer and walking away as it just copies itself in the enterprise world. We have, uh, like agents that we install within either gold images or on the machines Mm -hmm. later that acquire data. And again, we're going to just kick it off and tell it to do its thing. And then we'll just go off and wait till it's done. Um, but that monitoring that kicking off the job, that, 
uh, interfacing with, say, our our border security uh, software, all that sort of stuff that takes up valuable time where, like, say, my time is better used in analysis. Uh, that's where you need the person, right? So we're going to, we can automate the mundane is what I like to say. So uh, security alert goes off, something is triggered in whatever system you're using. It kicks off and says, hey, this computer or this node or this department has been, we've detected a breach or suspect traffic and automation will kick off, start to collect those machines automatically. And then even kick off processing and notify the appropriate agents, whether it's 2 a.m., 2 p.m. or during a lunch break, it doesn't matter because we know that one of the biggest enemies in a breach is time, right? So we, we want to speed that up, that response time. Absolutely. Yeah, the attackers are, are automating stuff, but um, yeah, yeah, we, we're, we're going to have to as well. Um, very good. Uh, one last uh, gear switch before we, we wrap here, you know, a uh, bit of a more personal topic. Uh, you know, I saw that you, you play Apex Legends and uh, <laughs> yeah. love the fact that that game introduced a, a nonverbal communication system. I, I think that's probably one of the most innovative things I've, I've seen in a video game in, in a long time. Like it's the really idea the that, pe- that people that don't speak, even speak the same language you know, complete strangers can just jump onto this thing, communicate. And like, you know, if we want to tie it back to security, you know, it's very much one of those, like, you know, like look at gaming, like figuring out how to improve communication. <laughs> you know, like, no, absolutely. Uh, we, we can use that in so many other industries. You know, it's so funny you say that because um, gaming can teach you, so much about you can t- uh, take things out of the gaming industry and in the way that games are approached and apply it in so many different ways. Um, but absolutely, uh, this nonverbal triggering cross communication um, is going to be big in incident response. Um, both the presidential mandate and CISA is saying, hey, we've got to improve that communication. And you know, if they're saying it, like you said earlier, we got to do it. And it's interesting you mentioned that the bad actors are using automation. Um, we we also need to make sure that we are teaming up because they're not working alone. They're communicating. Mm-hmm. They're on message boards, sharing information, how to breach this, that weakness. But yet we get breached and we don't share that with anybody. We're like, oh, we got to keep this in. Um, yeah. we, we don't share how we fixed it. And so we really need to start communicating, teaming up. We need to be pre-maids over here on the good side, right? Um, so that, you know, what high tide lifts all ships together or whatever. Uh, but absolutely, we need to start uh, communicating, teaming, um, and working together to prevent these breaches from happening. Yeah, speaking my language, uh, it's actually w- one of my side projects is... Uh, doing postmortems on breaches, and there's so many few, so few cases, you know, unless, unless there was like a House or Senate subcommittee, you know, that that put together an investigation, or a class action lawsuit resulted in in the mandate report becoming public or something like that. Generally, uh, like we we get enough to have a like a vague idea of what happened. You know, but the stuff you miss are, are the people in the process stuff. Like I, I found in my uh, investigations, you know, 
people had all the tools they needed, you know, but they didn't work as a team. You know, they didn't have any practice. Like it was clear this was the first time they were running through a live fire <laughs> on yeah. like, like having an actual adversary in their network, um, you know, and, and, and just were not, uh, you know, made mistakes, made some, some very basic mistakes and uh, would have benefited from more practice and, and more, uh, you know, working together on maybe simulations or something like that. And certainly yes. understanding those details you know, like like that's come up in a few of the cases I've done, but those are so that's such a small sample and it's so anecdotal. You know, I suspect it's probably like that in the majority of them, but we don't know because those details never become public. That's right. And and I think there's a way to share it without, you know, give you you don't want to give up your corporate Absolutely. secrets because then whatever, but there's a way to share, hey, this is what happened. These are the vectors. Um, make sure you don't get hit as well. I don't need to know who you are to, you know, take lessons from how you failed. It doesn't, it doesn't matter at all. You know, maybe yeah. the industry like the vertical or something like that is relevant, but absolutely. Like, like it's a, it's a win-win if we can just convince people to do it. Absolutely. Awesome. Justin, thanks so much for joining us on enterprise security weekly today. I really enjoyed our, our conversation. Thanks for having me. All right, make sure you visit securityweekly.com forward slash Xtero to learn more. And we'll be right back in a few moments with the weekly enterprise news.